0: Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today is the co-founder and CEO at Concert Health, Spencer Hutchins. How are you today? I'm
1: doing great. Thanks for having me on.
0: Excited to have you on. Let's dive right in. Tell me a little bit about your background.
1: I've been trying to make a difference at the intersection of healthcare and technology for pretty much the last 20 years. So Concert's the second business I founded and led. Uh, Earlier in my career, I worked at a family office doing Series A, Series B investments uh, in the same space. And way back when, I was a management consultant uh, serving both technology companies, thinking about healthcare strategies and vice versa, uh, and would take periodic breaks to do public service work. So I got to spend some time in the first term of the Obama administration helping start a healthcare team at the Federal Communications Commission.
0: And and what led you to... You know, obviously, you you, throughout your career you like to have impact. What what made you want to start Concert Health in particular?
1: Yeah, like everybody um, with a pulse, I've got a uh, such close family and friends uh, that have experienced mental and behavioral health conditions, and have seen how transformative great care can be, and how easy it is not to get it in this country. Uh, And I'd done a bunch of building organizations that were fundamentally software businesses and had come out of that realizing that it's rare, that it's just the software that needs to get fixed, right? Maybe maybe the software stinks, but it's the teams, the culture, the clinical models, the operating models, the business models that all need to come together to make something work. And uh, I stumbled upon um, a research base around the care model that Concert Health is based on called Collaborative Care. And was just fascinated by the concept of integrating behavioral health services into the primary care setting how much sense that made um and how much overwhelming evidence there was in existing randomized control studies and one thing i learned along my entrepreneurial journey was it's pretty difficult to make new science and scale new science at the same time sort of you need to pick one lane and i'm not smart enough to make any new science so this felt like a, a moment in which i discovered something. Um, uh, I was 15 years late into it. This is 2016. The original studies were in the early 2000s, but was just fascinated why uh, no, this hadn't scaled yet and became, uh, frankly, professionally obsessed with that uh, long enough that decided that I wasn't going to give up unless I started a company and found a way to try to bring it to more Americans.
0: So you said the research has been out for you know a while now. Why do you think it wasn't? you know, like, obviously there's still an opportunity for you to want to get into this space. So you you mentioned part of it was because it wasn't already solved. Why, what do you think some of the blockers were that, you know, no one was able to figure it out to this point?
1: So the care model that concert's really been um, focused on scaling uh, was originally called the impact model. That was the name of the first study. And now it's called collaborative care. The basic idea is a group of psychiatrists at the University of Washington that recognized a few fundamental truths that there weren't enough psychiatrists, nobody wanted to come see them, uh, and it was a really silly idea to separate depression, and anxiety, care from everything else that happens in our lives and bodies. It's all integrated. And they ended up uh, inventing and then beginning to study this care model in which you embedded two clinicians, either in person or virtually, into the primary care uh, team um a collaborative care clinician or a you know we use all master's level behavioral health providers and they can um, really join the pcps team the primary care physicians team, to help take quick referrals and do a mix of therapy and psychosocial interventions but different than regular therapy what they do is also are accountable for tracking outcomes tracking symptoms over time and then meeting once a week with one of our a psychiatric provider reviewing the cases of people that are getting better and problem solving either a new approach in psychotherapy or the psychiatric provider making a recommendation to the primary care provider. So not take not a referral away from primary care but an extension of primary care really helping them do a great job managing a spectrum of depression, anxiety and other conditions which can be really effectively managed in primary care. So in 2016 I uh, read that original study, which was the the patient care happened in the late 90s when I was in high school and uh, in the early 2000s, published in the early 2000s. And there's been something like 70 or 80 papers since then that it replicated and it showed that it worked better. Uh, it, It addressed more patients more effectively than primary care could by itself or outpatient behavioral health could. And it drove superior outcomes, both in how it could control depression and how it could control other or impact other chronic diseases, whether that's obesity or diabetes, you know, things that are putting you in the hospital or emergency room. Um, and, that's the model. And in 2016, it had been replicated a lot in research, um, a lot with grant funding. And there's kind of two reasons it hadn't scaled. One was the money didn't work, right? So primary care, psychiatry, therapy, they could all get paid separately, but they couldn't actually get paid to work together to do this model. Um, and the second is it's kind of hard to do. It's a different uh, protocol. It's a different model. It's a, it's a teaming across three different disparate groups of clinicians. That's a little different. And so no one had really dedicated it. Uh, the problem number one, and the reason I started concert was that Medicare fixed the money. Uh, So they actually created a reimbursement schema that allowed any primary care physician to deliver this care model to their patients across the country, and they could actually get paid to do it, right? It would become part of a covered benefit for Medicare. Fortunately, pretty quickly after Medicare, virtually every health plan on the commercial market followed. And at this point, about half the state's Medicaid has. So we've really, at concert, we've hopefully played a small role in helping accelerate that through our advocacy. But that kind of was happening on its own concert was built to fix the complexity right because it's a new benefit but most primary care groups didn't know um and uh and even if they found out are not dying to learn about a new uh, payment model a new clinical model hire loads of social workers find psychiatrists to work with put it all together and so uh what we canvassed the market back in 2016 2017 when we were in the idea phase and it it felt like there was a huge opportunity that finally there's actually a sustainable way for medical practices to deliver this model, and it could do the, It'd be the right thing for people all across the country. And when we saw in the innovation space, a lot of people making apps or workflow tools, and we just didn't think that's what the market needed, or was it the only thing the market needed? What the market needed was a high-performing employed group practice uh, that could actually be a great place for the best behavioral health clinicians in the country to work and could really operate as an easy button for high-performing primary care teams that wanted to do this in a partnership model as opposed to figuring it all out themselves and so since then the rest has been history we started in suburban phoenix working with some small practices many of whom we still work with almost all of whom and now we work with over four thousand primary care providers and we're practicing medicine across 17 states i
0: like that easy button it's immediately the mind goes right to you know those the the easy button that you give people for their desk Uh, that's really cool Talk, talk me through some of the key differentiators, um, you know, that you see between what, I mean, you, you, within what we've already discussed, you know, I've already kind of heard some, but let's signal, let's signal a few out for the audience, Mm -hmm. um, you know, versus why someone would use your behavioral health, um, you know, company versus someone else.
1: So you can think of a few layers. One is uh, channel, right? So there's other organizations that are focused on direct to consumer, right? Getting people on the web uh, or Um, brick and mortar. Uh, Others focus on employers, right, being a benefit that you sell through. We really focus on that partnership with primary care. That also means that we have the ability to care for people with Medicare and Medicaid. Um, Those have represented 55 or 60 percent of the patients we've cared for and a real opportunity to serve all Americans uh, in need, not just those with the right employer um, or the ability to pay themselves. Uh, The second uh, area is sort of structure. Right. I think a lot of people are, are building just software or they're trying to become a marketplace They're, you know, taking independent clinicians, matching them with independent um, uh, patients and, and being there around uh, a marketplace or a network. Our view is to really focus as an employee group practice. Right. So that most of our clinicians are W-2, we're always their main job um, and really about training, creating great careers for behavioral health clinicians. And the third difference is really the insight of this care model, right? Using the evidence around the specific modality, collaborative care, which is really focused on one, empowering those primary care providers, OBs, pediatricians, oncologists to do a great job, with them as a quarterback, and us they are supporting through our behavioral health interventions and our psychiatric providers, they are making recommendations on helping the PCPs diagnose, prescribe. Uh, and treat better as opposed to taking over their care. Really passionate about that because 80 papers, it's now closer to 90 that say that care model works better. It's also, I think, the only evidence-based model that has a hope of actually caring for everybody in need because we know... You know there's a lot of great psychiatry organizations telepsychiatry uh, other things which can can do great work but there's simply not enough psychiatrists to manage everyone with depression and anxiety we need to empower those clinicians that actually sort of have enough reach to help all of us and those are our primary care providers
0: now when a lot of guests come on spencer i ask them to to pull out their crystal ball and and try to paint me a picture of what the future could look like you know in their particular space so When we look at what the future of behavioral health looks like, you know, through the the concert health like lens, through your lens, uh, talk us through what that looks like. And then maybe where you see future in the future concert health impact on behavioral health.
1: Yeah. So I'd start by saying how wonderful it is that as a society and as an industry, we finally started to try. Right. In reality, up until one or two decades ago, we didn't really have a national aspiration that everybody with behavioral health conditions should get high quality access to high quality care. Um and so that's wonderful and it's great. I don't think we're not going backwards on that, right? That that the the tide is coming. Uh, There's a recognition awareness um, at at all levels of all of us in our families and our lives. We're we're reckoning with it. We're talking more about it openly. And as a healthcare system, we're realizing this needs to be a core part. We think the future uh, is really centered in primary care. And so the definition of high quality primary care is going to include the majority of supporting people with depression, anxiety, and a whole other A host of conditions Uh, one because those are almost always linked they're interwoven with our diabetes our lung failure our obesity right they're they're causing one another right they're they're cycling in bad ways and it's our primary care providers that have the capacity insight and relationships to drive that and so we're really believers that uh, behavioral health at its core will not continue to act like a, a specialty industry off on its side but that the majority that will be enabled by high quality primary care, we think that will, uh, is the way to get access and quality. It's also going to be one of the key several levers of helping our primary care teams transition to whatever jargon we want to use, value-based care, this idea that they're going to move away from just getting paid for every visit to having their revenue model more uh, aligned with long-term health of the populations, the people they manage. And to do that well, we think this embedded collaborative care model or other behavioral health integration is going to be critical. So what does that mean for Concert? Um, it is incredibly exciting that we've cared for well north of 50,000 patients to date. But, uh, you know, there's probably in the order of 30 million Americans that need care like this uh, and already have a health plan that will cover it. And so I think we need to be humbled, inspired by the work we've done, but humbled by how much is left to do. And there's just a lot of growing. It's a lot of being a great employer for great clinicians, hiring a lot, deploying a lot of current partners and new partners and then while that this care model um is i think going to help and and be the right way to treat 60 70 80% of all the people with behavioral health conditions they'll never need to see specialists right they can be effectively managed in this stronger primary care team uh, but I think another aspect of all of our responsibility and concert's responsibilities organization is sort of organizing the specialty system behind us, understanding those people that do need to get to specialists, and finding the right ways to step up care into those programs and step back down into a primary care setting. So that we're really using the scarce resources of our uh, facility-based work, our high acuity programs, our specialty programs uh, for those that really need it.
0: And and in terms of not not just future what's next for for concert health that you're really excited about that you can tell us here today
1: well i'm just so honored by several of the partners that we get to work with of all sizes so a few uh, mercy health the biggest health system in missouri with with uh okla and then large operations in oklahoma and arkansas advent health um uh based in orlando but operated in nine states and just incredibly humbled and impressed by their and dozens of other groups like Common Spirit and Trinity um, and regional systems and medical groups across the country, just inspired that they've given us the opportunity to say, this is how we want to do care. But uh, many of those organizations have over a thousand primary care providers on their team. And so the opportunity to really make it, build systems into it, to screen patients, because we know only about half of the people with depression raise their hands about it and really get to everybody. And do that by empowering and making those primary care providers better. It's growth for concert. Um, it's changes on the side of our partners for screening and training and really being a part of that and saying those organizations that have responsibility for caring for hundreds of thousands or millions of people that we can really be their partner and reach those scales uh, with them and continue to, to um generate evidence which we can share with health plans we share with patients and we share as research as a way to keep building on this so we have a chance at actually figuring out how to get everyone uh into everyone in in the care that needs it and everyone better that's in the care
0: last question for you before we wrap up here something new that we're doing what uh what was a favorite show and or movie of yours growing up
1: Well, it was a little bit older than growing up, but I remember I fell in love with The Wire. Uh, That was in, I think, uh, late college and grad school when I watched that. Um, Still, I think, um, just an amazing uh, social commentary, amazing writing, amazing acting. Fell in love with it. I've watched every episode at least twice.
0: I love it. And I can tell you like it because you smiled immediately when you started thinking of it. So I actually haven't seen that. So, I, I mean, I... I've heard it compares well with, like, The Sopranos, though, in terms of, like, yeah. um, if you watch The Sopranos, you would like The Wire, so I still need to check out The Wire.
1: Totally. You've got to, if you're not from the Baltimore area, uh, you've got to give it a couple episodes because uh, that's where it's based, and they got a pretty thick accent uh, that takes you an episode or two to start to understand. But it's worth getting over that hump that this, the, um, yeah, everything about it was captivating. I remember uh, binge watching it back in the day.
0: I'll have to check it out. Well, Spencer, thanks so much for joining me here today. You were great. And, you know, wish you and the Concert Health team all the best of luck.
1: Thanks a lot for having us on, Jared. Really appreciate it.